0: welcome everybody to our webinar today our webinar is biblical and prophetic teachings we have these webinars every thursday at four o'clock israel time and we thank you so much that you are joining us today i'm your host i'm david van der waal the vice president of finance and we have also here together with me I'm Dr. Jürgen Bühler, he's the president and he will be the speaker today. Also, welcome to you, Jürgen, having you always um, a familiar face on our webinar. Um, it's great having you again. We're looking very much forward to this wonderful teaching. And the subject today is Paul, the Jewish Apostle. But before we start with the um, teaching, and we're still waiting for some to join us as people are signing in from around the world, from the US, in Europe, in Asia, and Africa, we have Usually, um, almost from every continent of the world, people joining us for these uh, weekly webinars. Uh, we would just like to update you what is happening here at the ICJ. There's always very exciting things happening with us. Next week, um, uh, Tuesday, we are sponsoring a flight from Ethiopia for hundreds of Ethiopians. They're gonna make Aliyah to Israel. They've been waiting for a long time to come. They have received now approval from the Israeli government to come. And uh, with your help and with your partnership, we are able to bring a flight over next week with these wonderful and precious new immigrants to Israel. We'd like to thank you for that in advance. We also had the wonderful privilege to continue helping the Ukrainian Jews um, from Ukraine to make Aliyah, taking them out of the danger zones. In the Ukraine, we've helped over 800 um, uh, Ukrainians already to make it um, all the way back to Israel. And we've given out hundreds of um, packages, what we call welcome packages, so they have the items they need to start afresh in Israel. As many of them are coming basically with very few things to Israel. And it was possible doing all of this because of all of you that are are helping us and partnering with us every month and every week um, to bless God's people here in Israel. Um, Another great thing I need to update you with that is going to happen in only four months from today is the Feast of Tabernacles. If you don't know what the Feast of Tabernacles is, please visit our website, icj.org, and you can learn more about this. But for the last 40 years, we have been the hosts, and we are very privileged to be the host of the Feast of Tabernacles for the last forty years, bringing up Christians and the nations from around the world to Jerusalem to celebrate and worship God in Jerusalem at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. So, if you would like to join us, and um, please do, this is the first time after Corona, and um, we have a very nice program. And please check out our website icj.org to join us this year. Maybe you would like to serve or um, help us to make this event happen. In Jerusalem, you're also welcome. Go to our website and you can see a place where you can serve with us as a feast team member, being a host or helping us in other practical ways as we need tens, and actually usually quite hundreds of volunteers to help us at the feast and we call them feast team members. So please, this is very exciting times. Um, Go to our website if you need to know anything more, icj.org. But I believe now almost everybody have signed in that would like to join us today with our webinar, biblical and Prophetic Teachings. And um, our subject once again is today, Paul, the Jewish Apostle. Now, if you need translation, if you're on YouTube, maybe you're on Facebook or another channel, the ICJ, you do need to be on Zoom. And on Zoom, we have translation in Chinese, in Portuguese, Spanish, and even Thai today. So thank you for joining us today. I'm going to hand it over to Dr. Jürgen Bühler, the vice president, not vice president, the president of the ICJ. Sorry, Jürgen. Um, and it's very great having you once again on the webinar. I'm looking forward to your wonderful insights into the Jewish apostle um, called Paul. So thank you, Jürgen. I'll turn it over to you. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much, David, and uh, thanks for this uh, introduction and uh, important update also what is happening right now uh, in the ICJ, in our ministry. We are working really on many different fronts uh, in Haifa with Holocaust survivors with uh, new immigrants from Ukraine, and as you heard uh, very immediately now, uh, we are on the cutting edge of that with another flight coming in from Ethiopia, And we just learned a few weeks ago, I believe, David, it was from the Jewish Agency, that in this current wave that uh, started, I believe, a few months ago, more than half of them uh, have been financed by the Christian embassy. And uh, this, of course, goes on top of what uh, the Lord allows us to do also in uh, the Ukraine. Um, I want to greet also everybody, again, uh, David already welcomed you, but uh, please let us know where you are coming from. I see there are people from Taiwan, we have people with us uh, from uh, France. I'm very sorry, right now our French translator, I think they are on vacation, so uh, we do not have right now a French translator. Please help, pray for help that we have. We have people from uh, malaysia from ontario canada china south africa argentina so welcome everybody wherever you are joining us uh, for this webinar on paul the uh, jewish apostle and i would like to start re- uh, with the the webinar with a reading of a passage that p- was the greatest watershed experience of the Apostle Paul during his lifetime. And this is uh, Acts chapter nine. This is the conversion of Paul. And uh, why I decided to to do this seminar. First of all, I was triggered. I was in our congregation that I'm attending. We are going consecutively through the book of Acts right now. And they gave me the passage to read that I and to preach and that I'm reading to you right now. And I was amazed what I felt the Lord was uh, downloading to me and I shared it with our staff and uh, they said, oh, we need to turn this also into a a webinar. So, here we go. I'm reading from Acts chapter nine and uh, please remember the person we are talking today, Apostle Paul. He is uh, uh, the person that like probably very few others besides Jesus, of course, himself, where the greatest impact had the um, probably most single impact on the church, uh, on our theology, on what we believe. So I believe it's very important for us to understand who was that person. Uh, I'm reading from Acts chapter 9, from uh, verses 1 to the following. But Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters To the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that means belonging to the way, these were Christians, man or woman, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, he, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are prosecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him, they stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing none. Saul arose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple in Damascus called Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he says, here am I, Lord. And the, the Lord said to him, rise up and go to the street called the Strait. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, uh, uh, in, in a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard of many about this man, how much evil he has done to the saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who are called on you calling your name. But the Lord said to him, go for as a, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, He has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and then he arose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. What an amazing uh, story Uh, that is the conversion story of the Apostle Paul. Now Um, The Bible tells us actually quite a lot about Paul. There is not a single biography about Paul in the Bible, but if you get the different puzzle pieces together from his epistles from the book of Acts, you learn quite a whole lot about who this man uh, Saul was. And I want to start reading, digging into this, who this person Saul was in Acts chapter 21, verse 39. And and here is Paul speaking in the temple. And we will come back to the story that I was reading to you. But here we read as Paul was entering the temple. He says, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And uh, the first thing that I want to highlight here uh, about Paul is that uh, he is a Jew who was born not in Jerusalem. He didn't grow up in Israel, but he was born in a city called Tarshish in Sicilia, Cilicia. Now, um, those of you who are not familiar with the geography of the Middle East, Uh, Tarshish was a rather significant city. Uh, If you look today on the map, uh, you see Turkey going all the way to the east, and then the coastline goes down to the south. And right there at the the border, at this corner, where the coastline turns down to the south at this corner, a few kilometers up north, there is the city of Tarshish. And Paul says here in Acts chapter 21, verse 39, he says, and this is not an insignificant city. In other words, he says, this is quite a well-known city that uh, um, you should be knowing. And, um, and it is true, even though we might not know that city so much today, but it was one of the most learned city of the ancient world when Paul was living. It, is, it brought forth some of the uh, prominent philosophers and researchers of that time, namely, for example, for example, Strabo, one of the main Greek geographers. He was one of the experts to explain uh, the geography of the world at that time. The Roman statesman Cicero, he was born uh, close to Tarshish, and the city had a university that was so influential uh, that it impacted, and it was actually the birthing house of Stoic philosophy. And we might come to that a little bit later, but as many people believe that Paul also, to quite a degree, was impacted by the Stoic uh, philosophy we read even that some of the philosophers he quoted them when he was writing to the church in Corinth and also to the to the letter to Titus. He actually was quoting one of the um, um, stoic philosophers and he also quotes uh, this man Athenodus, Athenodus, uh, he was this uh, Stoic philosopher, he quotes them also in Acts chapter 17, when Paul is standing at the Areopagus in Athens, and he's quoting him also. So he was quite well learned, well, well learned and versed um, by education. And uh, Strabo, this geographer, which I mentioned to you before, he wrote the following about that city. He says, the people at Tarsus, Now, this is Strabo, the geographer, uh, speaking. The people of Tarsus have devoted themselves so eagerly, not only to philosophy, but also to the whole round of education in general. That means they were not just experts in philosophy, but they were at a very broad base of knowledge um, um, to the whole ground of education in general that they have surpassed. Athens and Alexandria or any other place that can be named where there have been schools and lecturers of philosophy. And that's quite amazing. This geographer Strabo says, he says, this city, Tarsus, it's the most learned city in the Greek empire and the Greek world. It was, of course, the Roman empire, but the, the cultural Greek area where he was coming from. And that's quite important for us to understand, to see who Paul is. And we might come in one of the coming lectures in the coming week, we go a little bit more on the impact of those philosophers also on the life of Paul. Secondly, it came from Tarshish, number one. Secondly, um, we know that Paul was a Roman citizen. Uh, In Acts chapter 16, verse 37, Acts chapter 16, verse 37, uh, Paul is in the prison of Philippi, and Paul said to the people who, who captured him, he says, they have been beating, beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and they have thrown us into the prisons. And they say, well, we had no idea that you have been Roman citizen. You also in chapter 22, verse 28, he says uh, he was talking to one of the commanders. Again, this was a situation when he was caught uh, for the gospel and was put in prison. The commander asked him, how much did you pay to obtain your citizenship? Now, we have to understand if you lived in the Roman Empire, unlike if you are living in Germany today, where well, probably more than 95% of the population in Germany would be German citizens. And I believe it's very similar in your own country. If you lived in the Roman Empire, it did not mean that you also automatically were a Roman citizen. Now, if P- if you lived at the Roman Empire at that time, you go you If you did not come from Italy, you were living under the occupation of the Roman Empire. You have been suffering from an occupational force, and they would not give to everybody a Roman citizen. Very few people, high-ranking officers, like in the case what we read in Acts chapter 22, and other accomplished people, they might have gotten the citizenship, and Paul was... A Roman citizen, we learn here, by birth. That means he grew up in a very well-established family in Tarshish. And we also know something else about him is that uh, in in Galatia, we read and in in Corinth, and through the letter of the Corinthian, we read that he was of the trade of a tent maker. Now, the trade of a tent maker, this is uh, uh, not just restricted to making tents, but this is a general term in the Greek that can refer to anybody who is working with textiles, and who is working in the textile industry. Now, it's quite interesting that the uh, uh, the Cilician fabric was quite well known in the Roman Empire. Uh, Cilician fabric was in particular liked by Roman soldiers. They said this is a very good textile. It keeps us warm at night. It is soft to wear, but it's very well resistible. That means it's a very stable fabric that had very good quality. So that means he must m- most likely come from a wealthy Jewish family in, uh, in, in Cilicia, in, in Tarshish. And uh, most likely, we can assume that Paul also was growing up as a secular man. He wasn't uh, growing up necessarily in the early years of his life as a very religious man. Why do we? Why do I believe that? In Romans chapter seven, verse nine, uh, Paul says. He says, um, I'm maybe reading to uh, um, the the verse before to get the context. context. I'm reading verse." Uh, Romans chapter 7 verse 8, but sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desires. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Now listen to that verse 9, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. I was alive once without the law, this can easily be translated also. It's exactly the same word, says, I lived once without the law. And that means Paul probably, like we have today in Israel, was born a secular Jew, maybe didn't even even go every, every Shabbat to synagogue. They kept maybe some tradition, but he didn't bother too much about God. But then during his time, he must have experienced a religious conversion or religious. Repentance, where he turned back to Judaism, and you see this again also very often today, where you see people who grew up completely secular. They in Hebrew we say they return They returned back to the answer. They returned back to God and to a to a Jewish traditional lifestyle. And maybe Paul was very similar to that. That means he grew up in Tarshish, secular in a very philosophical city of studies and learning and probably Paul learned quite a lot there. And then something must have happened Maybe his parents encouraged him to go to Jerusalem. Also, this is nothing normal living in Israel. David can confirm that. Um, you actually see a lot of families, mainly from the United States. They send their young kids for an experience to Jerusalem. They are studying for a year of uh, yeshiva in the old city. They experience the land. And many of them, they return back to their home country. But the parents want them to be immersed into Jewish culture and have a connection to Israel and maybe very similar. Uh, the parents of Paul did that with that with their child. They sent him to Jerusalem to one of the most prominent yeshivas as we see in a second. He was studying at the feet of Gamliel the elder. He was the most prominent rabbi who was living in the time of Paul. So the first one was his you could say his Roman or secular uh, Backgrounds. The second point I want to make is his Jewish background, which is equally important, if not more important. Now, Paul stresses quite a lot in his letters that he actually is an Israelite, and he gives us exact details of which tribe he was coming. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, Paul says, Though also I might have confidence in the flesh, Anyone else thinks they might have confidence in the flesh? I even more so. I am circumcised on the eighth day. That means like every Israeli, every Jew is circumcised on the eighth day. Even the secular people, uh, there was a research done recently, more than 90% or 95% of even secular Jews circumcise their children. It's part of belonging to the Jewish people. And I'm of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And we come later to that concerning the law, a Pharisees. But what Paul is giving us here, the information, is that he is coming from the tribe of Benjamin. And I believe many of you know how what, what was his uh, his other name. And the first name that he actually had before he uh, got saved, his name was Saul. Now there was a very well known man coming from the tribe of Benjamin and his name was Saul. He was the king of Israel. Shaul and who knows, maybe there was even a royal uh, dynasty, a line of a royal dynasty, royal blood in the life of Paul. We don't know, but he definitely was coming from the tribe of Benjamin. Romans chapter 11, verse 1, verse 11, verse 1, we read it again. He says, definitely, I'm also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. So, he's definitely Jewish. Born Jewish parents circumcised in every respect. And then in Acts chapter 22, verse three, Acts chapter 22, verse three, if you are taking notes, he says, I'm indeed a Jew born in Tarshish of Cilicia, but I'm brought up here in this city at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the strictness of our father's law. I'm taught at the feet of Gamaliel. Now, this is quite amazing because uh, the name of Gamaliel is uh, a quite well known name in the Hebrew writings, in the Jewish writings, in the Talmud. And there are two big Gamaliels at the time. There's uh, one great, great rabbi um, that is even called a city after him, Bet Gamliel, uh, very close to Rehoboth, where I was studying for many years. It's not referring to the uh, Gamliel or Gamaliel that Paul was studying it, but also his Gamaliel was a very prominent one. He was called Gamliel Hasakan or Gamaliel the Elder, and he's considered to be a, a, a great son of Hillel. Now, those of you who know a little bit about Judaism, there were two great scholars, probably the most prominent scholars in the time of of Jesus, Shammai and Hillel, and this uh, Gamliel is a grandson of Hillel, and he was quite an amazing, an interesting person. Now, Gamliel was uh, known in his time, and the Talmud teaches that, that he was quite a tolerant man, and he was tolerant, he encouraged actually Greek study, and that means maybe because of that, his parents sent him to Gamliel because they found he would actually handle support also, other secular studies. And um, the quote that we have in the book of Acts chapter five from Gamliel, you remember, there is the story, the church is being persecuted in Jerusalem, and there's a persecution against the early apostles, and they are being brought before the great council, the Sanhedrin, and um, they think about what we should be doing, and then Gamliel rises up. This is exactly this Gamliel, Gamliel HaSakan, and he rises up, he says, wait a second, let's not act quickly against them, because if this is from God, then we cannot do anything against it, and if it's not from God, if this is just a human initiative, it will sort, sort it out by itself. And it's quite interesting. In Pirkei Avot, this is the Talmud, a part of the Talmud, the Mishnah, in chapter five, uh, verse seventeen you actually uh, see this quoted in a similar context that Gamliel was saying that. So that means both the Bible and also the, uh, the Talmud says he was quite a tolerant man against other people with other opinions. And that's why also some Jewish scholars today say, he says, well, I don't believe that Paul really was a Pharisee because his teacher Gamliel definitely would not teach to prosecute other believers. And that's definitely some some place where Paul deviated later on from the way how he was educated. Some believe that he was following more a Sadducean line that was collaborating with the Romans and that he got support from their side. We don't know exactly, but it's for sure that this is not something that he might have taught, uh, what it was learned from, from Paul. Then something also very interesting that this Gamliel was, a quite liberal man in regards to the role of women in Judaism. And uh, was more liberal as his compatriots. And you might say, well, we don't really see this from Paul. There are some very harsh things that Paul is saying against women. But you need to see Paul in the context of his time. And uh, in that time, actually, what Paul was saying wasn't really outrageous. Against women, but on the contrar- contrary, many of the things were revolutionary. Like, for example, Galatians chapter three, verse twenty-eight. He says, "There is now neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither female or male. You all are one in Jesus Christ." Now, let me tell you, this is an approach that was completely revolution- revolutionary at that time, because many would have said, "Well," wow, What you are saying that women and men are in the eyes of God considered in the same value. And uh, this is something which Paul most likely got from the studies also among this uh, from this rabbi Gamliel, And also he was telling, you know, if you are in the the diaspora, you need to support the Gentiles that are in need. That means we as Jews, he says, we need to let our light shine, that people see that we are uh, a light to the nations. And there's one more thing that is very interesting about Gamliel Hasakan. And this is that Gamliel Hasakan, the the Gamliel, the elder, the, the teacher of Paul, he was known of writing letters to all kinds of community. There's, as a matter of fact, in the Talmud, a story about Gamliel HaSakan, and he's sitting there at the southern steps of the temple. Now, you remember, we have been there with the Feast of Tabernacles the last two years at the southern steps of the temple. And there is the story that Gamliel Asakhan was sitting there and he was uh, having his secretary, his assistant with him and his disciples, Yohanan, was in that time, they write, he was bringing him three unfinished letters. One was going to the community in Galilee the other letter that he was writing was going to the community in the south of Israel in the Negev area and a third one he was writing to the diaspora in Babylon. Now, I want to ask you: Why do you think Paul was writing so many letters, more than any anyone else in his time? I believe he had a great master who was teaching him many good practices, and those practices they stood with him, and that's why why Paul remained to be the most world's, the most literal, uh, literary apostle of that time. Now, there's one. Uh, final point before we come to this unusual conversion that I want to make. And this is Paul, the persecutor. And this is also something which we need to understand. It had great impact on his life. If you go to Acts chapter 8, verse 3, Acts chapter 8, verse 3, uh, we read here the following. Acts chapter 8. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to uh, to, uh, to prison. Now in verse one, we read this is immediately after the stoning of Stephen. Saul was consenting to his death. We read and they were placing their clothes to his feet, and it says at that time a great persecution arose against the church. And the key person that was involved in that prosecution was Paul. He say it's quite powerful. He went havoc against the church entering every house. That means you have to imagine living there living there in Jerusalem at the time. And people were afraid because one day it might knock at their door and outside was the, the police and they said, well, you are believing in Yeshua and the Messiah. And then you would say, yes, I do believe. Then they would have told you even with to your wife, we take you to prison because of your faith in this false Messiah. Paul was the instigator, and he was the, the most powerful man in that move against the church. He was not differentiating between man and woman, and he committed them all in prison. That beans people at the time, they were afraid of Paul because they were afraid that they might be the next that would end up in prison. And he wasn't doing this just in uh, Jerusalem. We read in Acts chapter 26, verse 11, and I punished them. That's Acts chapter 26, verse 11. I punished them often. That means Paul is writing about himself. I punished them often in every synagogue and I compelled them to blaspheme. That means he would not only uh, go against them, but he would force them. I, we don't know with torture, however, he might have done it. I compelled them to blaspheme the name of God, being exceedingly enraged against them. I prosecuted them even to foreign cities. We know, of course, from the story that we read in chapter 9 that he went to Damascus, but he speaks here about cities in plural. There have been many cities where Paul was going havoc against the church, and he was really an arch enemy of the church. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, the letter to the Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says, but you have heard of my former contact in Jude, conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the Church of God beyond measure and I tried to destroy them. That means there was one target that Paul had in his life. He says, I want to annihilate the church. I don't like this community of Yeshua believing. Jews, I actually want to go against them. And remember, the church he was attacking was not a Gentile church. At this point, uh, the church was actually a purely Jewish church. And this time of his life where he went so much against the church and where he prosecuted the body of Christ, had a great impact on his later ministry, and it's important for us to say to understand that in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse nine. First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse nine. He says, "I am the least of all the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God." And it's quite amazing that Paul, the, the humility that he shows, he says, "Well, I know." God called me to be an apostle, but I actually did not deserve it because I was a prosecutor of the church of God. That's why he was so much impacted. He said, this is the grace in which I stand. I deserve to be punished and to be judged, but I can't believe God even made me an apostle. And in Philippians chapter three verse six, uh, he, he keeps writing about that. He says, you know, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin concerning the seal, the passion in my faith. I was prosecuting the church when concerning the righteousness that is in the law, I was blameless. And it's quite amazing this com- combination that Paul writes. I was a a persecutor of the church but regarding the law, I was blameless. And this is quite amazing, you know, that even in his mind when he was a believer, when he started to believe in Yeshua, the fact that he was prosecuting the law, he says, I, I didn't really break the law of the Bible, but I thought I'm doing the right thing. We read this later on saying, him, I thought I was actually blameless regarding the law. And, and, and that's later on. Paul applies that to the whole Jewish people. He says, I bear witness for them. They have incredible seal for God, but without the right knowledge. And that means Paul was in, in his own life. He experienced in a way what he saw in Israel later on um, um, uh, in, um, in prosecution. Sorry, I'm just distracted by a window that is coming up. Um, so he was um in a way saying, I'm not prosecuting the law, but blameless in First in Timothy verse one verse thirteen. First Timothy Timothy uh, one verse thirteen, he says, Though I was formerly a blasphemer, a prosecutor, an insolent, insolent, insolent man, but I became received mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. That means I didn't do it because I was an evil man, but I was convicted by prosecuting the church. I'm doing a favor to God. I'm fulfilling the law of God going against those who are teaching false doctrines and it's important for us to understand especially if you are listening to this program and you might be coming from a nation where some of the things Paul did uh, reminds you on things that happened in your country where there is persecution, but he didn't do it out of a wicked ideology or because he was a wicked man. He actually believed he was doing a favor to God by doing that. And um we have to think about, uh, you know, Paul, he was, people believe he was very close to the Romans because normally you can't go into another city and take, uh, take people with you. He must have had still impact because of his Roman citizenship. Might have been at that time closer to the Sadducees than the Pharisees, some people believe. And if Acts 9 had succeeded, if he went to Damascus, The end result would have been that after a few weeks, a caravan of people bound by their hands were being led to Jerusalem in in order to be sent to prison. He was a very powerful enemy of the church and he was a dangerous man for every believer. And then We come to the story with which we started in Acts chapter 9. He was on the way to Damascus to take prisoners among those messianic believers in the city of Damascus. And suddenly, on the way to Damascus, something happened to him. He saw this amazing light. This was so powerful that he was falling down from his horse and he was laying down on the ground. And he was hearing this voice coming to him. Saul, Saul, why are you prosecuting me? And then he is answering, he replied, he says, who are you, Lord? It's quite amazing. This is, you know, in Judaism, you say, if you ask a question, you usually reply with another question. That's what you see with Paul here also. Uh, the Lord asks him, why are you prosecuting me? He replies with the question, says, Who are you, Lord? And what is so unique at this question? Greek, it says, Who are you, Curios? And Curios is used in the Bible as the name of the Lord, as Adonai. The Septuagint translates Adonai, the Lord God. It translates it with Curios. So, what Paul realized, this is not just some master or sir, if it's not like, Who are you, sir? But he says, Who are you, God? And I believe what happened on that day with Paul is that all his house of cards that he was building over the last decades of this law of his life was falling together. And he was realizing, I'm confronted with the God here and I don't really know him who he is. Who are you, Lord? He asked. And And then the answer was, who are you, Curious? Who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus who you are prosecuting. And then Jesus departed. He gave him instructions where to go. And for three days, Paul was praying. He was on his knees, I believe. He was fasting and he didn't know but everything was falling together. And I believe he spent a lot of time thinking about his past life and his past decades. And the meantime, it's almost, you can say it's almost funny. <laughs> Something else is taking place. God. Jesus is appearing to Ananias, a believer of the city of Damascus. He says, Ananias, I have a mission for you. I want you to go to the straight street. That was a name. I was there many years ago. I could see that street in the city of Damascus and I want you, you to meet a man called Paul and I want you to pray. Lay your hands upon him and pray for him. Now, this is the Lord talking to Ananias. I'm not sure how many times. Uh, The Lord was talking to you with such a, a direct voice where the Lord gives you name and address of people to go. And again, in a very Jewish way, Ananias replies back to the Lord. He said, well, let me fill you in and who this Paul is. in a way, it's almost like he tries to educate the Lord. It seems you don't really know who this person is. He's the worst guy around. He said, he actually came not to be prayed for. He came to to Damascus in order to take us captives. And the Lord smiled on him, I believe. And he says, I know, I know. I already, already had my talk to him. And then he says something very powerful sorry i'm using my microphone can you still hear me david he says this man who was a prosecutor of the church he is my chosen instrument to take my name before the gentiles before kings and before the house of israel and i'm also going to show him how much he needs to suffer for my name and I'm not sure, you know, if, if body of if you, if you on the first day of your conversion would stayed in faith, the Lord would have showed you how much you have to suffer for the kingdom of God. But here, it's a quite extraordinary story. This man received a complete revelation from the first day about his calling, but also about the difficulties that might await him. And I believe that God showed him that because he knew he can trust Paul and um there is something which is quite amazing in this calling of uh, of, a, of of uh, of on this conversion of 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 Paul and this is that when this man was converted and you know if you are in, in any church or in any ministry today and if you are a new believer you come fresh to faith in Jesus Normally, they take you to a discipleship course and a course for a young believer. Paul didn't need all that. If you go to Acts chapter 9, verse 20, that's the story uh, that follows the conversion of Paul. Acts chapter 9, verse 20, it says, and immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogue that he is the son of God. That means he didn't go to a school. He st- just went straight to the synagogue, not speaking against Christianity. It was completely reversed. And because I believe what happened, this man was immersed in the world of God. All that he needed was a rewiring in his brain to understand Yeshua. He's the Messiah you have been waiting for. And Paul knew all the passages of the Bible that spoke about Messiah. And I believe one line after the other was suddenly lightening up in his brain. And he says, now I understand what this passage means and what this passage means. And immediately he went to the synagogue and he started to preach there. It's quite amazing. And then later on in the same chapter, Acts chapter 9, verse 28, uh, we read it also. They took him now to Jerusalem. So it says, so he was with them in Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him, and they took him out and brought him back because of his safety, for his safety reason, to his birthplace, to the city of Tarshish. Now, there was now a period coming in the life of Paul, and then I'm coming to the last and maybe most important point of this message, where he really needed to be dealt with by God. The Bible says that he was for several years in Arabia, and then he was somehow stuck in that city of Tarshish, and we read in Acts chapter 9 verse Excuse me. That we, we read in Acts chapter 13 that Barnabas actually went to take him to himself to where he, he st- they started a church in uh, in Antioch, and that's where he became part of the eldership of the leadership of that church in the city of Antioch. But uh, there were a number of years that he was in Arabia. I believe his main thing that he needed to learn was maybe not so much to get a better understanding of the Bible. He all knew it and he just needed to apply it to Jesus but I believe um, he needed to learn to walk by the leading and by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Not so much to rely anymore on his theological knowledge and his seal that he definitely had but to be a person that need to be broken and to be a ready vessel for the kingdom of God. And when he started the ministry, this man became a spiritual explosion. He changed the world like very few other people. Now, I want to make a closing point and that's really the main point I want to make here today is that Paul's life in many ways, you couldn't say if you look at the life of Paul, he's not only there as an individual apostle, but if you look at, look at Paul, you actually see the whole fate and the whole story of the people of Israel in him. There's an amazing calling that was placed upon him, and we will come to that in a minute, but if you go to uh, the way how he got saved, you know, in Acts chapter 9, verse 8, Acts chapter 9, verse 8, when he was uh, saved, we see that his eyes were opened, but he could not see. It's quite an amazing statement. The, The guy looked at you, And he actually couldn't see anything. He had eyes open, but he couldn't see And When I was reading that, I was reminded what God himself prophesied over the people of Israel. This is Isaiah chapter six, verse nine. Isaiah chapter six, verse nine. God says, he says to to Isaiah, go and tell this people, go tell your people, the people of Israel, keep on hearing, but do not understand and keep on seeing, but do not see. And in a way this was exactly what Paul was representing there. He he actually and I I think he understood this was the time that's the way how he lived most of his life. I saw all the scriptures and he was very zealous for God but didn't really see who it was all about. He couldn't see his Messiah. And then later on it says when he got saved, actually it was falling like scales from his eyes. And suddenly he saw and he gave this, received this amazing revelation that means this blinding of Israel that Paul speaks also in Romans 11 verse 28 where it says Israel is partially blinded. He experienced it in a very literal sense in his own life. Then in Acts chapter 9, verse 9, Acts chapter 9, verse 9, we say he was this, he was for three days without sight. And he could not he did neither eat nor drink. Now three days is quite a significant amount of days. We of course, Jesus was raised on the third day. Likewise, Paul received after three days his eyesight back. But there is a much, uh, even more powerful parallel to him. And I'm reading here from the prophet Hosea chapter 5. The prophet Hosea chapter 5. And I'm reading until the beginning of chapter 6. The Lord himself speaks about him dealing with Israel. The Lord speaks, I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a young lion to the house of Judah. I even I, I will tear, tear them and I will go away. I will take them away and no one shall rescue them. I will turn again to my place. I will return back to my place till they acknowledge their offense and they will seek my face in their affliction. They will earnestly seek me. And now listen to that chapter six verse one. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us and he will heal us. He has stricken us, but he also will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up. In a way, Paul was living through the destiny of the Jewish people, and it's quite amazing, you know, the Jewish people for 2,000 years now, they, even though Messiah arrived, they can't see, their eyes are still blinded, and it's a supernatural blind, and it's not that they can't understand it with their minds, but it's almost like God is holding their eyes that they cannot see it. And then after three days, and the third days, God removed those scales over their eyes, and suddenly Paul understood who he was. And it's quite amazing also, you know, what Paul says. He says, you know, I was a prosecutor of the church, but I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul, Peter, uses the very same thing about the Jewish people when he was preaching in Jerusalem. It's very important for us to understand. And he didn't say, well, the Jews didn't kill Jesus. He says, you killed the Prince of Peace. But there he says in verse 17, I know that you did it in ignorance and all like also your rulers Exactly like Paul, I know you try to do a favor to God by getting rid of this man who you think is a blasphemer. You did it in ignorance. And that's why Paul Peter always said hope for his people. He says, that's why I know there is hope for the Jewish people and for my nation. So it was a supernatural blinding, a revival after three days. And there was a prosecution of the church without knowledge. Remember what Jesus said on the cross when they were were prosecuting him and nailing him on the cross. What did he pray? He says, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And in a way, Paul was living through that in a very powerful way. And then also something else. Paul, in his life, resembles in a most powerful way Romans 11, verse 12 and 15. Romans 11, verse 12, verse 15. Now, if their fall is the riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. Verse 15. For if they're being cast away, is the reconciliation of the world. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Now, if you look at, look at the life of Paul, you all agree and you immediately see, of course, when he got saved, he became an incredible blessing for the world, resurrection power, wherever he went, people came experienced experience the life of Jesus. But it says here, even in their unbelief, even in their blinding, they have been a blessing. So the question is, how was Paul a blessing to the early church? Now, let's go to Acts chapter 1, um, Acts chapter 8. The passage that we read in the beginning, and now Paul was concerning to to his death, Stephen's death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were scattered all through the regions of Judea and Samaria and except the Apostles. They were scattered through all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except of the apostles. Now, the Bible tells us later on what happened in Judea and Samaria. They started churches. That means without Paul, the early church would have stayed in Jerusalem. They would have enjoyed their Messiah and their services. But God, in a way, used a man like Paul. He said, I need to shake them up a little bit because otherwise they will not leave to the other countries and other places. And through this persecution, they were scattered to other places. In the book of Acts, later in the following chapters, tell us everywhere Samaria, Judea, they started new congregations wherever they went. And then very powerfully, Acts chapter 11, verse 9, Acts chapter 11, verse 9, now those who were scattered after the prosecution that arose over Stephen, again, it's the same event that we were speaking, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but to the Jews only. That means they were scattered all around the world, not just Judea, Samaria, but they went to Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, what did they do? They were starting new congregations. And it's quite amazing. I I must just think what happened to Paul when Barnabas was picking him up in Tarshish, he says, we have a lively congregation in Antioch and uh, I want you to join our leadership team. And he came to Antioch and he wanted to know, well, how did this church actually start? And they said, well, you remember there was a prosecution after Stephen and that's when we had to come here. We were fleeing here. And that's when the church started. And I believe tears were running down the eyes of Paul because he realized even though he was a prosecutor, of the church, his prosecution led to the establishment of new congregations. And then of course, like Paul says in Romans 11, he says, how, how much more, when their the eyes will be opened, how much more will they be a blessing? And we see this in the life of, of Apostle Paul, a man who became the teacher of the Gentiles, who opened the door to the Gentiles like nobody else to believe in their Messiah. And uh, he indeed lived out in his life what God says, that's the destiny of Israel. Yes, there will be a time of blinding. Yes, there will be a time of suffering, but one day there will come a time when I'm going to open their eyes. It will fall like scales from their eyes, and they will see, look upon him, Zechariah, the prophet says. They will look upon him whom they have pierced. And, um, and in a way, you know, Paul's life resembles the hope of Israel, if you look at Paul. And that's why I wanted to share that with you. And if you go to the very last chapter of the book of Acts, Paul is preaching now in the city of Rome, and he was telling to the rabbis, he was telling them why he came to Rome, and he was telling the following, but the Jews in Jerusalem, they spoke against the gospel, and I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which they could excuse, that I had anything to excuse my nation for. It's quite important, you know, that Paul says, even though they prosecuted, I never, never wanted to accuse my nation for that. And that's, you know, a a rapid change that the church brought centuries later. They became the main accusers of the Jewish nation. But he says, it's not that I had anything to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I've called to you to see and to speak with, with you, because for the hope, Of Israel, I am bound with his chains. He says, I'm standing here representing the hope of Israel. And what an incredible story that is an apostle that was a prosecutor of the church that had all the knowledge of the Gentiles, the knowledge of Judaism, had an incredible visitation of God upon his life, and then became one of the most powerful tools to spread the gospel around the world. And I want to conclude with that, he says, that's why we need to be committed like never before to pray for the salvation of Israel. Because if just with Paul something amazing like that happens, how much more if this whole nation is going to be a blessing when, um, when when they open their eyes and see their Messiah. And with this, I want to conclude. I hope it was a a blessing for you. Um, And I hand it back to you, David.
0: Thank you so much, uh, Jürgen. This was a wonderful um, teaching you gave us um, today. And we have a lot to think about. And um, yes, we need to pray that the Lord will open up Israel's eyes to their Messiah and that they will be saved. Amen. Amen. And we would encourage everybody to pray for that and join us in our prayer meetings. So we have prayer meetings on Wednesday at four o'clock every week and be part of the Isaiah 62 prayer um, uh, chain also in our Rosh Chodesh prayer. Join us as we are praying for Israel and intercede on their behalf. So Once again, Jürgen, thank you so much. It was a wonderful message. And those that have joined us or maybe friends that would like to hear this message, we do have it on our YouTube channel available. Maybe not right now today, but probably from tomorrow already. So you can revisit these wonderful teachings we have. We'd like to encourage you to do that. And yeah, thank you everybody for joining us and may you have a wonderful evening or morning or day wherever you are around the world. And once again, Jurgen, this was excellent and thank you so much. We appreciate it very much. May God bless you all. We'll see you next week, Thursday at four o'clock.
1: Amen. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next Thursday at 4 p.m. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on our social media pages for more exclusive ICJ content.